they can see he's got a blue steel turned out a 38 caliber gun in his hand and he starts firing at them as he falls down. Well, he really had a sweat severed femoral artery in his leg at the time, but he's still going and, and of course they open up on him and, and, and he's still alive when they call an ambulance and, and Jenna, Jenna starts kicking at the ambulance drivers and, you know, take that, you son of a bitch. I'll tell you what, it was a bad dude. Hey, all you wiretappers out there back here in the studio, Gangland Wire. Good to be back here. And I, I have a story for you today about the myth about how Al Capone had this big banquet and he had some guy there who was a traitor that he knew about and he called him out and he beat him to death with a baseball bat made famous in the movie, The Untouchables with Sean uh, Connery and, and oh, I can't think of the other guy's name. You know who it is who played Elliot Ness. Anyhow, Connery played the uh, tough old Irish uh, Chicago copper. First of all, I saw a video the other day. My my daughter, my granddaughter told me about this. It's a true crime podcast on YouTube. And this wouldn't work on uh, the audio platform that I mainly use. A lady starts telling about some horror crime, primarily some kind of a true crime deal. But she also instructs people on how to put on makeup at the time. So I thought, well, well there's a gimmick. <laughs> you know, we're always looking for a gimmick. There's a gimmick. Here's a gimmick. So what, what can I do? All right. Here's what I'm thinking. I should tell you how to clean and get a 4026 Smith & Wesson, my old service pistol, ready to go. But, you know, I tell you what, I don't know if I could tell that a story, a true crime story, or keep concentration because it takes way too much concentration. I'd be going... God damn it, where's that, how's that thing go back, spring go back in there? I'll never forget having to do that. When I first got this gun, it was a pain in the butt. It, it was a good gun. I, I never had to use it for anything, but it's always here for health, so, uh, home protection. Anyhow, so let's get on with the story of the uh, two guys that really incurred the wrath of Al Capone and the kind of the, the basis for that story. There was two men from Sicily named Alberto Anselmi and Giovanni Scalise. They came to Sicily, actually running from, came to, they came to Chicago, actually running from Benito Mussolini. Mussolini was after the mafia and, and he had warrants out for him for things like consorting with known criminals and some basic, you know, general uh, kind of a warrant like that. He was just putting them all in jail. But they were they were cold-blooded, black-hander, mafia killers from Sicily. They came to Chicago. And of course, the first time they, first place they came to in Chicago was the Taylor Street area and the Patch and, and Little Italy. It had actually had two areas, Little Italy and then Little Sicily was just north of that. This is 1920s. The arrest warrant was put out for one of them in 1927, I found out, for association associating with a band of outlaws. Scalise and Selma quickly found work with the Jennas, the Jenna family who ran the roost on these sites. This is kind of as Al Capone is getting bigger and consolidating his territory and you know, he'll end up in a fight with them. The Jennas are making and selling booze. And they're in a constant battle with what they call the Northsiders back then. This is the Dean or Dion O'Banion 
Irish outfit, and they had some some Sicilians and some other Italians with them, and some Jewish gangsters. I think Jaime Weiss was was with uh, Dion O'Banion or Dean O'Banion, but somebody set the dynamic duo from Sicily loose on. Dion O'Banion. And of course, we all know now he had a flower shop. Somebody came and said that they had, were there to pick up an order. And when he stuck out his hand to shake their hands, they killed him. The actual murderers were never caught. These two guys were suspected a few months later in the north side. Some of the north side crews gunned down Angelo Jenna and Salvatore Amatuna. So, you know, we don't really know exactly. Galice and Inselme were really involved with the Jennas at the time, and they were once being driven around by Mike Jenna in a car in 1925, and there had been some kind of a gun battle with Bugsy Moran and a guy named Drucci just before that who were part of this North Side crew. Police were out cruising around. They had heard about this, and they got word that this Mike, they called him the Devil Jenna, was part of this gun battle early that happened earlier and they started they saw him and they started following him around there was a, another man they said samuel amatuna who was the bull brummel of the gangland area at the time uh was driving so they started cruising following them at 47th and western jenna and the uh dynamic duo like the gemini twins of the 1920s anselmo and scalise took off and the car, there became this big car chase throughout the city. Said Mike was yelling loudly in Sicilian and giving instructions for everybody what they should do. He told Anselmi and, and Scalise to, to grab the guns and that were on the floor. And they had two repeating shotguns and four sawed-off shotguns. Anselmi and Scalise really wanted to take him out. Anyhow, they were already trying to move on the Jenna gang. And they were getting other offers from other places. A couple of three policemen, Charles Walsh and Harold Olson, Michael Conway, William Sweeney, were among the policemen that were following them. They were going 70, 80 mile an hour on 59th Street. Truck swerved in front of them. The Jenna driver hit the brakes, caused a spin, slammed into a lamppost. Cops jumped out, started yelling at them. The Jenna party started firing back at him. Scalise and Anselmi started firing back at him with these shotguns. One patrolman, uh, Mr. Uh, Officer Olson, is hitting the job by some slugs. I guess they were using slugs and goes down. Uh, patrolman Walsh was hitting the chest with some buckshot. Another two policemen, Sweeney and Conway, returned fire. Jenna's gun jams. Now, this is a hell of a gun battle, man. <laughs> His gun jams, Scalise and Selmy take off running. The other guy who was the driver, the Bull Brummel, the outfit at the time was, was gone. He slipped away. Jenna and he follows Scalise and Anselmi and they run into an alley between Western and Artesian Avenue. If you know Chicago, that Scalise and Anselmi are turned into a kind of a passageway between some houses at 6941 Artesian Avenue. Jenna's getting tired. Sometimes these guys get tired. They aren't in the best shape. He turns around and faces Patrolman Sweeney, levels his shotgun at him, presses a trigger, and click. Nothing happens. He must have been out or had a bad shell or something. Sweeney starts firing back and hits Jenna in the leg. Jenna starts stumbling away, jumps to the basement of window of a, a nearby home, Sweeney and some other policemen, they uh, picked up a couple of guys by now, follow him down in the basement, and they see him lying on the floor. They can see he's got a blue steel 
turned out a 38 caliber gun in his hand and he starts firing at them as he falls down. Well, he really had a sweat severed femoral artery in his leg at the time, but he's still going and, and of course they open up on him and, and, and he's still alive when they call an ambulance and, and Jenna, Jenna starts kicking at the ambulance drivers and, you know, take that, you son of a bitch. I tell you what, it was a bad dude. <laughs> when they looked at Jenna later on, he was supposedly an olive oil and cheese importer and lived at 856 Blue Island Avenue. The officers Olson and Walsh died from their wounds. And Selma and Scleese had ducked into a store, but later on they're captured by the police and, and they're roughed up pretty good. You know, things that there was no uh, Marcus of Queensbury rules and no civil rights of the FBI or the Justice Department to uh, take a look at this. So they rough them up pretty good. They say Harold Olson's brother, one of the slain officers, came to the station and tried to kill Anselme and Scalise, but They've talked him out of it. They're getting ready to go to trial. They have a hanging prosecutor named McSwiggin in Cook County, and they figure that he, they're going to get the death penalty at least. During the trial, Anselme, is, he can't speak English. Scalise, he speaks real broken English. They have like a an interpreter that, that tries to help them, but they keep claiming that they never would have shot at these people that were chasing them had they known they were policemen. They thought these were other gangsters. They also put the blame on Mike Jenna, who's already dead, said, you know, he started this and we were just trying to get away. But they ended up being sentenced for 14 years for manslaughter. So actually, they, they got off lucky. I tell you what, during their time in prison, they were in fear for their lives the whole time. They were beaten often. They tried to poison them. Uh, Scalise once said that his food tasted a little funny. The prison people, prison uh, administration sent the food to be analyzed, and they discovered that there was enough cyanide in there to kill a couple of men. In the end, the Supreme Court would order a new trial for the killing of policeman or police officer Olson, and they were both found not guilty. By then, you know, the heat's out of the deal, and nobody's paying any attention. And, and the lawyer's defense was, they say, in essence, that if a policeman tries to kill you, you can kill him in self-defense. There's been some talk about that here in more recent times. So, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> kind of depending on everything is as fact-specific what happens there. Everything's like different depending on the facts. For their defense, Anselmi and Scalise had a lot of connections, and they got other Sicilians to squeeze the newly arrived Sicilian shop owners and businessmen in Chicago to take up money took up enough money and squeezed enough money. They got $10,000 even out of one real wealthy Chicago resident named Henry Spinola, who will end up being shot to death. But he was a self-made, wealthy businessman. He didn't like doing it, but he didn't have it. He really, in the end, he didn't have a choice. And he ended up getting killed in the end anyhow. I mean, they were all, everybody was pretty much involved and the bootlegging business. It was just too lucrative and it was not, you know, I don't know. It just, even though you're, you're wealthy and you're doing well on your own, you're still probably going to get involved in the bootleg business. You know, after all this, and they end up getting out of that in 1929, St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Scalise and Machine Gun Jack McGurn are picked up, but then released for lack of evidence. We know now that it was the, uh, uh, 
Chicago's, uh, I mean, uh, Capone's American Boys out of St. Louis, Egan's Rat, Fred Burke, Fred the Killer Burke was were the ones that that he set on Bugs Moran's people at that garage in St. Valentine's Day. A massacre happened. But boy, these guys and Selmy and Scalise become, they think they're invis- invincible. They're like smug and arrogant now. And, and they're being recruited by another Sicilian in Chicago named Joe Cotuna. And they want to take over Capone and throw him out and make themselves the overall bosses of Chicago in the bootlegging business. Uh, Prohibition's about the end of Prohibition, but it's still on. And and they are really, they're like Capone's big boys. Uh, they have money. And of course, by now women and, and they're living high and, and Capone's protecting them. He thinks that, you know, that these are his guys. He doesn't know that they're starting to plot against him. Matter of fact, there were, there was a, another shootout with some of these North Siders and, and Jewish gangsters that, uh, Scalise and, and, um, and Selmy are involved with. And it was, uh, Jaime Weiss was, was kind of on the other side. He was a famous gangster in, in Chicago in the twenties and he demanded, Compone hand these guys over because they'd have been involved in the shootout, uh, trying to kill some of his guys in front of the Standard Oil building in downtown Chicago. But, you know, here's an interesting quote from Capone. He said, you know, even though it may cost us the peace that we have right now, I wouldn't do that to a yellow dog. You know, by this point in time, they'd had that big shootout at the uh, Lexington Hotel where the Capones and some of his people, I think Antonio Cardo was, was, sitting in the lobby and these guys went by with uh, machine guns and and put over a thousand rounds in the lobby of that hotel down in Cicero, the Lexington Hotel. Scalise and, and, and Selmy are hanging out with this Ginta guy, G-U-I-N-T-A. They're thinking that they're going to put together this deal and take out Capone. They're forming a relationship with a guy named Joe Aiello and starting to make plans and deals. And they've been extorting businessmen for money. They say Scalise had over $250,000 saved. Uh, You know, that's like, man, that's crazy. $250,000 back then. He'd gotten arrogant. One another word that has come down through history is he had snubbed a Cleveland Sicilian meeting. There's a group of Sicilians that were meeting in Cleveland. He had snubbed them there. The Capone, you know, Capone was not all Sicilians. The Capone was a combine or a partnership or the outfit. They had eyes and ears everywhere and didn't take him long to find out. There was a plot, and then Selmy were Scalise that were part of it. So Al Capone, being kind of devious, he has a buddy, uh, a trusted friend named Frank Rio, and and they play out an act of arguing in front of Anselmi and Scalise. I tell you that Capone was slick. Scalise and Anselmi think that there's a rip between this Rio and Capone, so they try to convince Rio that he should join up with them. Well, this is, you know, Rio tells Capone immediately. And so Capone says, you know, I know this is, this is for real now. This is more direct evidence before it was just like innuendo and, and secondary information. Capone's got firsthand evidence in his mind that these guys are plotting to take him out. Capone, again, he's, he's pretty slick. He sets up a banquet to honor Sicilians and part of his crew, his outfit who's invited to this big banquet. Uh, it's kind of like an Academy Award for gangsters. Uh, 
They're feasting on food and copious amounts of booze and, and Genta and Scalise and then some more there. During that, during this, as people start getting drunk, during this banquet, a fake argument arises. Capone has set this up, have a couple other guys start some big argument. Scalise and Anselme try to calm things down. All of a sudden, they realize that they are the subject of this argument. And quickly, Anselme, Scalise, and Guenta are held at gunpoint by different Capone men. They're sworn at, spit on, and shoved around. They feign innocence. Please believe me, we weren't trying to do anything. They fall down on their knees. They're saying, oh, you know, we didn't... It's not us. I don't know what you're talking about. You know, we, we're not doing anything. You know, we're with you, Al. To no avail. Al does the thumbs down, I guess. I wasn't there, so I don't know. That's That could be another myth. Al does the thumbs down. Each of them is shot several times point blank in the face, chest, arms, and legs with 38 specials. The autopsies will prove that out later on. They weren't beaten to death with baseball bats. Scalise's pinky finger is completely shot off while he was trying to shield his face from the bullets. Now, in, in actuality, there's no evidence that Capone himself was there. And if he was smart, he wouldn't be there. See, I just started adding to the myth when I said Capone gave him the thumbs down. I doubt if he was there. He was already being scrutinized closely by Chicago authorities. He was getting ready to go to his the big meeting in Atlantic City. That guy, Nucky, something was putting on with Lucky Luciano and all the bootleggers trying to organize the, all the bootlegging in the United States. And by this point in time, he was not messing around with what you would call the wet work or the heavy work. He let other people do all the killing and the cleanup. He knew he would be blamed, but he'd just say, you know, this is a Sicilian thing. It didn't have anything to do with me or my organization. I've got a, you know, I have a good alibi. Another interesting thing about the autopsies, I said, I mentioned the autopsies. There were autopsies. They did not show any beating. They only showed shooting and all their stomachs were filled with food just before they died. That myth about Al Capone and the baseball bat has been really strong for a long time. You know, you think about it, Tony Accardo took on that name, Joe Batterson. Supposedly, Capone gave him that name whenever he beat somebody up with a baseball bat and said, you're a real Joe Batters, aren't you? You know, that that whole story was probably floated just to make Capone more of a threat, more scary. You know, when you invoke Capone's name and you might, somebody might bring down his wrath on you if you were, they were extorting money from you, you weren't agreeing to help uh, some of the lower level gangsters with whatever they were doing. They'd say, you know, Al Capone, you know, he beat those three guys to death, the baseball bat. I'd hate to have him, you know, I'd hate to have to go to Al about this, you know, that kind of stuff they do. Joe Batters, you know, but he enjoyed the reputation of being a guy who was a real Joe Batters could beat people up really bad. So anyhow, that's uh, a lot of this is from the Mario Gomes collection, myalcaponemuseum.com. He's a Canadian guy that runs a really interesting website. If you're really interested in more of these myths about Al Capone and more information, that's good, solid information backed up by primary source documents like the autopsy report, primary source document right there. Don't forget, I like to ride motorcycles, so watch out for motorcycles when you're out there. If you have a problem with PTSD and you're a vet, go to the VA website. And don't forget, if you have a problem with alcohol, look up Anthony Ruggiano. Look up his website. He's got a hotline number and go to his YouTube page or something. He's got a hotline number. He's really heavy up and heavy into recovery. So thanks a lot, guys.